Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. If you would like some more information about us, please visit adventurechurch.co.za. We hope that you will enjoy today's message. So I'm going to do my best to keep this as short as possible, but I've got a lot to cover today. So please bear with me. And I trust that something will unlock in our hearts. And we're going to speak about nations. We're going to speak about church. We're going to speak about leadership. And, and we're trusting that we end this time in celebration as we see what God is busy with. But in Acts 14, verse 24, speaking about Paul and Barnabas, it says, They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, and where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So that's the church that sent them, was the church in Antioch. And it says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and he remained with them no little time with the disciples. So... So what happens is Paul and Barnabas get sent by the, by the church in Antioch. They go and they travel to a whole bunch of different places and they come and they bring feedback. And this is a scripture that we've mentioned a number of times here because when we go, we want to come back and bring feedback. So to open up um, the message today, I want to share a little bit of feedback from Kenya. So I, I traveled out um, two weeks ago on the Monday and I went and spent three days in Johannesburg before moving on to Kenya. I did some work there got to connect with the guys at the office, which I, who I haven't seen for a while, so it's really important from a business perspective. Um, I work here, but I work with a group of guys in Joburg, and one thing that COVID taught us is face-to-face -face communication is vitally important. And it was great to spend some time with the guys and to be encouraged and to encourage. And from there, uh, we traveled, Henny and I, on Thursday morning, we traveled to Nairobi, and it was an amazing blessing because as we got to the boarding gate, they upgraded him and I to business class. So that was an absolute blessing. Um, and amazingly, when I actually traveled from Durban to Joburg, I was upgraded as well. So I've never been upgraded in my life before, but it was two flights in our two consecutive flights, which was unbelievable. And even in that, there was something that struck me when I was traveling to Joburg in the first place and I was preparing some of the messages for Kenya. And one of the, the topics that I was preaching on is the fact that we are noble but not superior. And the nobility of believers is not a superiority in structure. And we'll get through to some of that even during the course of this morning. But when I was sitting on the plane and being served, uh, one of the first things that happened is the gentleman offered me breakfast on the way to uh, Joburg. And I said, yes, please. And anyway, I saw them give breakfast to all the other business class passengers. And then after a while, I thought, I'm the only one that hasn't received it. And, and in normal circumstances, if you've paid for this ticket, the, the natural response is you're going to go complain because you're not being served the way that you should. But I sat there so grateful for the fact that this wasn't something that I had paid for. It was merely a blessing that God had given that was outside of me. The reason I booked that flight was because it was the cheapest flight to Joburg. So that's the only reason I was on that flight is I found the cheapest possible ticket. And here I was being served. And, and I thought, it's amazing how when you don't earn something, 
the privilege that comes with it. And eventually the gentleman came and he said, Sir, are you sure you don't want something to eat? And obviously he had misunderstood and he brought me this most phenomenal breakfast with probably the best overnight oats I've ever tasted. And it was such a blessing. But there was something of the recognition of the call that we have that is a privilege and it's not a right. We don't walk with the expectation that, that people serve us. We actually go and the, the beautiful thing of this call is we have the privilege of serving the way that Jesus served. And, and that was how this trip started. And, and Henny and I traveled together. We went from Nairobi. We changed airports. We fly into Joma Kenyatta, which is the, the big airport in Kenya. We then went off to Wilson, which is also in Nairobi, and flew to Kisumu. And there we fetched a rental car and spent the night like, waiting for our travels the following morning. And the following morning, we traveled through to an area called Homer Bay. And Homer Bay is also on Lake Victoria, as is Kasumu. But it's a, you don't know, the roads in Kenya um, between the towns are single lane roads with speed bumps the entire way. So we, it was about 120 kilometers. That took us just close on three hours to travel that 120 kilometer stretch. But it, it reminded me of driving kind of from Concha through to Salt Rock on the, the coastal road, where you know it's very slow, over speed bumps, they're big speed bumps. And, and we eventually arrived in an area called Homer Bay. It was a new region for us. And the incredible thing is how this region opened is through NCMI partnership. So um, City Hill in Belito, they've got a gentleman there by the name of Gary Hare, who's been working into Kenya for a number of years. And when he heard that, that Henny looks after the translocal ministry into Kenya, they had a coffee and he said, you have to go through to Homer Bay and meet a friend of mine called Dixon. So Henny and I went to this region in Homer Bay to meet with Dixon. And on the Saturday, we went to the most exquisite little church. And we parked our car right on the bottom and we had to walk up the single track path through the mountain up onto a church called Mount Zion. And Mount Zion overlooks Lake Victoria. But it is up in the hills and 70 pastors had gathered to be introduced to, to who we are and what we're doing. And and we had a privilege of speaking to them. We brought in a gentleman by the name of David, who's from a place called Ogembo in, in Kenya. So the team that comprised in Homer Bay was Henny, and myself and David from Ogembo. And the three of us led sessions there with these pastors. And then the following day, we got to preach in one of the churches in Homer Bay, which was an amazing time. Um, Henny had a word of knowledge for uh, visual impairment, and we had 11 people come up, and all 11 people noticed a visible difference in their ability to see. So that was amazing as we got to pray over them. Um, Libby, before we went, she shared a prophetic word with me where she said, I just had a sense that there's going to be a child that comes up who is going to ask you to play with them, and I, I feel that there's going to be something that you impart that's going to change this child's life. So for me, throughout my trip in Kenya, I was looking for children everywhere and anywhere. And when I got to preach in Homer Bay, I spoke specifically to the kids in, in this congregation. and had an amazing time just speaking over this next generation. And it was unbelievable because as we had come off the back of the light party here, it was a privilege to be able to speak something of that into a different region in a different country. Then on the Monday, Henny and I traveled back to Kasumu and flew back into Nairobi, where we met up with um, Nielis and Valdu. Valdu planted out a cornerstone church nine years ago, I think it is. Um, Nielis is on his eldership team. They lead a church called Kreislich in uh, Paul. And they joined up with us. 
and we then drove through to Nakuru. Again, it was a three-hour drive for just over 100 k's. But um, we went to Nakuru. We met up with Rodney from Cornerstone, who had gone through there the day earlier. So that was our team from South Africa, was the five of us. And we met with 12 leaders who are strategic leaders across Kenya. There are 14 guys. Two of them, unfortunately, weren't able to make it. But we had guys from Mtwape, Mombasa, through to Busia, Kitali, Kimanini, Kimalili, um, all these different guys from Nairobi, we traveled to one area, we stayed in the same hotel, and we spent three days of one building team, because this is a strategic team that we work with, we spent time doing leadership training, and we spent time just having decent fellowship, and we did team building exercises, and, and these are the guys that take the message into the churches, and it's, it's messages to break open religion and speak into the love and life of Jesus and trust that they will raise and release leaders as a result of it. So we had a really good time and then the five of us from South Africa got the opportunity to go minister in five different churches in Nakuru over that period. So each one of us went to a different church and amazing opportunity, uh, amazing testimonies that came through from people getting healed, people getting saved in the churches um, I had an opportunity to go and minister in one church, uh, it's quite a rural church, and after preaching, I invited some people up for, for ministry. I had two words of knowledge, one was for stomachs and one was for necks, and I had four ladies come up. Um, two ladies were, had stomach problems, but they were on and off, so they didn't know that in that moment they weren't feeling anything, so we got to pray for healing for them, but then... There was a lady who's been struggling with her stomach for 10 years and she was in severe pain in that moment. While praying, pain left her immediately. First time in 10 years she's been pain-free. The other lady could not move her neck. She had a stiff neck for seven years. She, she walked in and I asked her to move her neck and she, she turned her body like this here as she tried to look. Prayed for her and without even asking her to test the legitimacy of it, she was doing this here. And it was such an amazing, amazing thing. And when the church saw that something had happened and there was a touch of God, they asked me to go pray for a gentleman who happened to be a guy who was in ministry for a number of years and he had actually sown the ground for the church to be there. And his house was on the property, his wife was in the service and he was a gentleman who through dementia was struggling with paralysis from his neck down. And when we arrived there, someone was busy feeding him and had an opportunity to pray with this gentleman, and he was fully healed. But something, there was a distinct touch of God where by the time we left, he was a, like understanding instruction. They asked him, can you hear? He was squeezing with his hand. He was able to lift his arms up for the first time in seven years. He was touching his face. Um, he was opening his eyes and looking around. And, and they could see something of a cognitive response that they haven't seen in the last seven years. So uh, we kind of encouraged them to continue to pray for him, and I'm waiting for feedback on how he is. But his in-laws, who had arrived the night before from Mombasa, just said they were blown away to see the difference of, of this gentleman. And, and that's the touch of God and what God does as we step out and be obedient. And I was incredibly excited just by being privileged to be a part of what God was doing. And we then traveled back to Nairobi, spent the night in Nairobi and made our way home. So had an incredibly fruitful time in Kenya. Um, there's three trips that are already planned for next year. There's April, July and October again. And I would love 
to, to take a team from Adventure Church and go there and see if we can get there. It's an expensive trip, so I understand from a cost point of view, I was incredibly blessed that, that I was sponsored to go there, which was an amazing miracle in itself. But it would be great for us to come through and see what God is busy with. Um, I've said to Kayla and Libby, I'd love to take them one each as well and get them to go there and, and just experience the nations the way that we are working. Um, uh, I will be looking after a certain region in Kenya where uh, I will be tra trying to travel through to that region on a regular basis so that I can just connect with the guys and meet with them. So I'm aiming to go two to three times in a year to be a part of it. But I have to tell you, me going is not the only representation from Adventure Church. The prayers that we get, the, the, the fact that you release me to go is an amazing privilege. And, and this is what we do. And we, and we trust that we will be releasing more people into more nations as we continue. And we trust that people will come back and bring feedback as to what God is busy with and God is doing. So thank you. And, and please, if it is something that's stirring in your heart, it would be amazing to, to start putting provision together. And let's see if we can go and, and minister into these regions. And you will see a different side of ministry, which is unbelievable. So on that note, one of the things that I'd like to speak in today is what do we believe in terms of church governance and church structure. And I'm going to chat through a couple of different things. And I'm going to ask John to put up the first slide. And, and what you see is church structure typically works in a very similar way to politics. And it's not the right way, but unfortunately it's the way that it happens. And the first type of church structure is that of a dictatorship. Now a dictatorship is you have the elders or the leader at the top and they minister down to the people. And it's a hierarchical structure. You can see that the, the, the triangle points to the top. The red dot represents the leadership. And, and it's very much a hierarchy-driven um, outworking. And with it, the, there's a lording over the people. And, and Jesus came, and Jesus served the people. He didn't lord himself over. And if anyone could have, it was him. So we see this structure and, and we don't see the biblical relevance of it. If you go to the next one. The next one is that of a democracy. And a democracy is where the leader is at the bottom and you have a group of people at the top. And what they do is they vote in a leader. The leader is hired by the church and the leader is subject to the people. And the people tell him what he can do, what he can't do, and they govern the parameters in which the leader gets to operate. Once again, we don't see this model in Scripture, but it is a common model that we see in the outworking of church. But for us, what we do see in Scripture, and I will go through where we see this in Scripture, but if you can go to the next one, is we see an elder-led church structure. And what you will notice here is the triangle is on a side, it looks like an arrow, and the elders are at the front. So what they do is their responsibility is to lead people into the, the plans and the purposes that God has. So we are, from an NCMI perspective, we speak about to, make, to know Jesus and to make him known. It's the great commandment to know the Lord your God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the second, which cannot be separated, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So it's to know Jesus 
great uh, commandment, and to make him known, great commission. We see that in Mark 16, Matthew 28, and Acts 1.8, that we will go into all the world, we'll make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We will heal the sick, raise the dead. We will um, speak in other tongues. These, things will, these signs will follow those who believe. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Okay, so that's the Great Commission, and the purpose of the eldership team is to lead people in that Great Commission as they get to know Jesus more. It's not a hierarchical structure, but understand that the people that hit here first are the first to face the opposition in taking people into what they're doing. Now, we see where David misunderstood this, and David mixed up his understanding of us and started operating in a, a dictatorship type model. And that's when all his people were out on the front lines at war. But David, as the king, was sitting at home living his best life where the king's responsibility was actually to be on the front lines with the people. And what happens is he looks upon the roof next door, sees Bathsheba, and we know the rest of the story that came from that. He, he was not there, which is where he should be. And the reality is, this comes with an incredible responsibility, it comes with an incredible weight, and it comes with massive opposition. But we see this in Scripture, and we see that those who were leading churches led them into incredible things. And that's where responsibility lies. So why I'm saying this is I want to speak about the role and function of elders, but I want us to look at it through this lens. So I want to ask John to leave this up on here. So when you hear me speaking, this is the picture that we want. We don't want to see a hierarchical structure where there's this dictatorship of saying, well, actually, the elders lord everything over the people. And whatever the elders say, that's what happens. On the other hand, we don't want to look at it and say, well, the people will determine what happens and we will vote and everything we do as a church will come to a, a vote. In scripture, we see teams of people and every team has a leader and that leader uh, speaks about the function with their team and in that there's an outworking. So Moses led the people, led the Israelites, then Joshua led the people. So we see that working. We, we look at how um, all these different teams functioned was with a person who led the team and the team understood their role and their responsibility. But in the church, who is the primary leader? The Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church. So he's the one who is the ultimate head of what we do. And we always honor Jesus as head of the church. When he says to his disciples, um, who do you say I am? Peter says, I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Bojona, for this has not been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father who is in heaven. And I tell you the truth, you are Peter, which means little stone. And on this rock, being the revelation of my lordship, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So who builds the church? Jesus does. Psalms it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. So we build with him, but he's the one that does the building. It's his responsibility. I remember a friend of mine who leads a church out um, in the Eastern Cape in Grahamstown. He shared a message one day at an equip and he said, Jesus builds his church and it turns out he's pretty good at what he does. And for me, 
I realized all my insecurity, all my doubts, all my fears and all my worries was not believing the fullness of that statement. And I had to go through a journey of saying, Lord, if you say you build your church, I have to surrender myself and submit myself to the fact that you build your church and you are the one that makes these things happen. But we are faithful with the responsibility that has been entrusted to us as believers. So in the context of this, what is the highest call that we have? And Philippians 1 verse 1 to 2 says, this is Paul and Timothy writing to the church of Philippi. And it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. I love how they announce themselves. You'll sometimes hear Paul say, I, a bondservant, called to be an apostle. He doesn't refer to him as Apostle Paul. So what you will notice in how we do things is we don't speak about titles. Why? Because titles, we don't have an identity in what we do. We have a function in the call of what we do. But we are called to be servants as those who lead. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Highest call that we can have as a believer is that of saints, and that is every single believer. So that takes the hierarchical structure out of church leadership. Because the highest call? Saints. Who's a saint? Anyone who's accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior becomes a saint. And it says, so to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. Now what you'll find as we go through scripture is overseer, pastor, um, shepherd, elder, and bishop all refer to the same person. Some translations might use different, different words, like in the King James it refers to bishop, I think it's in Titus. Um, in uh, Ephesians 4.11, it sometimes are referred to as a pastor. It's the only place that it's mentioned. But, but a, a shepherd, an overseer, a pastor, a bishop, and an elder, same person. Just different nuances to what we're doing. And so when it speaks about the overseers, it's talking about pastors, it's talking about elders, it's talking about shepherds. Um, so it says, with the uh, overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So saints, highest calling. In the church, the highest governance is that of an overseer or an elder. And their responsibility is they carry the governance of leading people into the vision that God has given. If you go look through the book of Revelations and you see how the, the Spirit speaks or Jesus speaks into the different contexts and says to the church in Philippi, to the church in Corinth, that's addressed to the elders of the church. And it gives them, it commends them for things that they are doing well. And there's evidence of things that they have to change. And there's some things that you've got to, I think it's the church in Ephesus, you've lost your first love. So you've got to get back and lead your people into loving Jesus first and foremost again. Then it goes on to say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's a responsibility on the elders to hear what God is saying. We have a vision over Adventure Church, and that vision is something that, that I feel that God has given me prophetically for where we are going. But at this stage, I'm the only elder in the church. Now, what we will see throughout Scripture is the Bible speaks of plurality of elders, and, and that's something that's vitally important. So the team that I work with at the moment, I work with the translocal apostolic team, and I, I submit to them what we're doing so that there's accountability in how I lead. Because there's a responsibility to lead people here. And, and the, the risk of not doing it well is pretty significant. So you don't know the weight of that responsibility is, is quite severe. 
Paul speaks to both Titus and Timothy in, in letters addressed directly to them, and he speaks about the fact of what are the qualifications for elders. And in Titus 1 verse 5 to 9 it says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So debauchery is um, just doing anything sexually. Um, insubordination is that of inability to submit. Um, a friend of mine, when he, when he does new members training at his church, he gives the distinction between submission and agreement. And he says, submission is only tested in the midst of disagreement. Everything else up until that point is merely agreement. He says, for an overseer as God's steward. So the role of an overseer is to steward what God has entrusted. He says, must be above reproach. What does above reproach mean? That they, they must be a people who other people look at and say there's something of honor in the life of that individual. That doesn't mean that they are perfect because people are fallible. And one of the challenges with the hierarchical structure in church is that the, the elders or the leaders are put onto a pedestal and they are held to a standard that is actually unobtainable. And then um, an, an atheist once said, says, church is the only place where you see people burying the wounded. It's a scary thought. But often, when, when there's a fall from leadership, the church wants to bury those. No, we bring them through a place of, of, yes, correction and restoration so that we can see God's people restored because people are, are fallible. But, but if you want to lead God's people, be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Why is this important? Because we've seen infiltrate the church where people look at the opportunity for financial stability in church leadership. It says, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. There's a responsibility to bring people aligned. Now what you won't see in this, it doesn't say that a person must be qualified in theology in order to, to lead this. Now this is a, a contentious topic and hear my heart on this, but our qualification is not academic, our qualification is spiritually called. Now, I'm not speaking against the, the wisdom of theology, but I am saying that the, the Bible does not make that a prerequisite for a qualification for eldership. But it does say that you have to be able to give sound doctrine. How do you give sound doctrine? Well, by spending time in the presence of God. The beautiful thing about the Bible is the only book you read in the presence of the author. We rely on revelation from the Holy Spirit. We rely on, on, uh, on accountability and counsel, so we test things. I sat around a dinner table with the five guys um, in Kenya, and we got to break open some scripture, and we were, we were busy refining one another with regards to scripture. That's how we see it in scripture. 
So now that's Paul speaking to Titus. Paul says something similar to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 7. He talks about qualifications for overseers. So in Titus, the the heading is qualification for elders. In Timothy, qualification for overseers. Remember, elders, overseers, same person. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Why is it a noble task? Because of the consequence of leading people. It's hectic. The weight of this is severe. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Same thing again. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. How do we become able to teach? Well, Ephesians 4.11 speaks about the fivefold gifting, the apostles, the, the um, prophets, the pastors, the evangelists, and the teachers. And it says that they were given to the church for the equipping of the saints for every good work. We've got to bring people in who are able to equip on how to teach. Now, Valdu, who came with us to Kenya, has an incredible teaching gift. He spoke on teaching at the leadership training time. And the byproduct of it, there was a desire in my heart to teach. And there was an understanding better on how to teach. That's, that's how the fivefold gifting works, and that's why we work with what we call the translocal team, to bring that in because we want to teach people how to prophesy. We want to teach people how to pastor. We want to teach people how to teach because every one of us will have opportunities to do that. And, and even as we go through the qualifications of an overseer, these aren't... Just because a person is qualified does not mean that they should be an elder. And, and, and just because a person... Um, so there's a call linked to this, but, but actually as believers, we should be looking at these things and checking our own hearts and saying, even if there's not a call over our lives for this thing, we should still be looking at meeting the standard. Because I'm sure every one of us wants to be above reproach. Every one of us wants to be sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, and not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. That's, those are attributes that us as believers should desire in our own lives. But the Bible is giving us as a minimum qualifying criteria for those who are entrusted with the responsibility of leading people. It says he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. If we don't understand that this is not a hierarchy, that actually those who are called to lead are those who are called to serve, we might land up in a situation where we do become puffed up with conceit. It's a privilege, but but this is not something that we get to lord over people. It says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So they have to have a reputation in the community and a reputation where people say that that, that person lives an upright, upstanding life. Now, Timothy goes on there often and speaks to qualifications for deacons. And I'm going to run through this quickly. But deacons, we see the first appointing of deacons in Acts 6. 
and Stephen was a deacon. And again, often what we look at and we say, well, a person has to first become a deacon and then they become an elder and they step up into deaconship and they step up into... No, 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 no. The Bible doesn't give us the freedom to look at that. But, but there is a responsibility on deacons. And deacons are those who have been called to release the elders so that the elders can preach and teach. The deacons come to help facilitate administratively. How would we see that in the context of a local church now? Is those who lead life groups. Life groups are gatherings during the week. Now we are yet to start life groups, but it's something that we will be doing. Where we have life groups. They are those who, who lead different ministries. They, they, they're leading and they're administrating together. And it says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So people come, they serve in that role and we start seeing them operating and we say, we identify that you are operating in that and that you are meeting the criteria. We, we want to lay hands on you and ordain you as a deacon. It says, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good understanding for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So they grow in themselves and they grow in helping others. I'm going to go through a couple of different scriptures here. Bear with me. But I just want to speak about some of the, what does the Bible speak about being an elder? 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 to 22, it says, now remember, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy as Timothy goes out and appoints elders. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So there's a ruling that, that elders fulfill, but, but that's, not, that's a governance role. It's not a hierarchical role. It says, let them be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So what this is saying is there's nothing wrong with elders drawing a salary from the church. There's nothing wrong with, with the church funding the ministry of those who give their lives up for the ministry. It says they're worthy of double honor, so the church needs to be generous to those people. It says, um, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. What is it saying is that the reason they muzzled the ox is so that the ox does not eat the grain that is treading out. And here it's saying, because of the work that the ox is doing, you must not muzzle the ox so that it can eat of the ground in which it is toiling. It says, the laborer deserves his wages. And then it goes to say, how do we as, as people treat elders? It says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And the reason for that is because of the prominence of the role, you open to severe scrutiny. And, and, and I've seen a rise in the church where people feel the need to shoot the elders. When I say shoot um, metaphorically, where it's amazing how many people's ministries are, are there to try and speak against someone else's ministry. Guys, we've got to be careful of this. We don't have the role to do that. And, and the reason it speaks on, on the presence or the evidence of two or three witnesses actually speaks of relationship. So you bring a charge against the elders through relationship. Don't just be a stranger who sees some person and decides, no, 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 we don't like the way you're doing things. We're going to bring a charge and we want to unhinge this person. We're going to see them fall from grace. David's heart to leaders falling 
is when Saul dies. Now understand, David is coming to replace Saul as king. When Saul dies, David falls to the floor. He tears his clothes and he screams in anguish how the mighty have fallen. David mourned the fall of Saul, even though Saul, Saul falling is what opened up the door for David to become king. But he never saw it as a victory. He was saddened to see this man fall. So it says, as for those who persist in sin, speaking about elders, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in fear. Again, understand the responsibility. So if there's a moral downfall, that has to be brought before the church and that person has to be presented before the church as a, as a person who's been entrusted with this role and say, actually, guys, there's, there, there's been a problem here. This person's fallen morally. And, and they, they be rebuked in the presence of all. But that's not that we then excommunicate. We walk a road of restoration so that we can build a person up. Guys, I'm telling you now, the, this function of an elder comes with massive, massive opposition. It comes with opposition in your marriage. It comes with opposition in amongst your children. It comes with opposition spiritually in every different area because you are breaking ground and you are leading people into the, the plans and the purposes of God. It says in verse 21, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Uh, pure. So what, what Paul's saying to Timothy is do not be hasty in laying on your hands in the ordination of elders. Take your time and be careful that you don't just rush and because of the weight of this responsibility. 1 Peter 5 verse 1 to 11, the heading is shepherd the flock of God. So I exhort the elders amongst you as a fellow elder. You always see that when they speak to the elders, it's plural. That's plurality of elders. It says as a fellow elder, this is Peter speaking. Now Peter was an apostle and he was an elder. So again, when we see the outworking of the translocal gifts, I am on the NCMI translocal team. I go from an apostolic perspective into Kenya, but I'm an elder in this church. Does that make sense? So Peter, he goes apostolically, but here he's speaking to elders. He says, as a fellow elder, I'm speaking to you. And he says, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is amongst you, exercising oversight, so overseer, not under compulsion, but willingly. We want people to come in and be elders who desire this role. Because they acknowledge the call of this. So it says, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So again, we want to bless those who come on full time. Now, I'm privileged that I'm not full time in the church. So I don't draw a salary from the church. I work so that I can supplement what happens. But, but there will come a time when we as a church have full time elders on staff. We want them to be blessed but we also want them not to come for selfish gain. So, so there's a responsibility on the church to bless them and there's a responsibility on the elder to come in with the right heart and the right intentions. It says, so as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge. So again, it speaks against the hierarchy. We're not here to domineer over those who are in your care, but by being examples to the flock. 
There's a responsibility to live a life that's being an example to the flock. Hebrews, I think it's 13, 7, if I'm not mistaken, says, Look to your leaders who taught you the word. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. If, if the elders need to come in and live a life that's worthy to be imitated, so when people consider the outcome of their way of life, they see that their faith is worthy to be imitated. Look to your leaders who taught you the word. Disclaimer, consider the outcome of their way of life. That's why having a pastor who we listen to on a podcast in a nation that we've never met is not the person who's shepherding you. They might be a voice, but that's not the person that's shepherding you because how do you consider the outcome of their way of life? If you're not in close proximity to one another. It says, and then imitate their faith. So only imitate the faith of those who you see worthy to be imitated. But there's a responsibility on those who are teaching the word to live a life that is worthy to be imitated. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, says Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is speaking to the elders again. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the top proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking some one to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he's speaking to elders and saying, understand that the rest of these people who are also leading churches around the world are subject to the same roaring lion who is coming to cause death and destruction. It says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Christ, head of the church, and he will be the one that establishes. In Acts 20, I'm going to jump to verse 28, but in verse 17, it says there that, that they called the elders of the church to come to him. So the context is this is Paul is speaking to the, the Ephesian elders. And he says in verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So we have a qualification, but there's a call that actually that the Holy Spirit is the one that's responsible for, for calling a person. We saw in Acts 13 as well, when Paul and Barnabas, it says, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I have called them, being the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there's a call. Uh, shepherd the flock that, that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Not shepherd someone else's flock. So, so the elders are not here to shepherd a flock that has not been entrusted to them. They're here to shepherd the people that are entrusted to them. And it says, um, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my, that, that, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is, blessed to, uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
So again, this is Paul speaking to the elders. This is their function. He's saying, you guys are going to suffer, but understand that Jesus will be the one that protects you, but also understand that you've got to be a generous people because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Next week, we've got Marcus and Adele coming, and, and, and he's a man that has the gift of generosity. I've seen that man. He's got the gift of faith and the gift of generosity, and the two are very scary for the people on his team because he sees opportunity to bless, even though sometimes the resources are not there, but he's a gift, he has a gift of faith to say, but Lord, I understand that you are the one that provides. And I've seen incredible testimonies come from him because of his open-handedness and his generosity. And he's the one that leads Cornerstone. He's the, the lead elder at Cornerstone. I'm going to read my last portion of scripture, and then I want to start getting ready to close. Acts 14, verse 19 to 23, it says... But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. You don't know, ministry, guys. Whoever says that becoming a believer is just this absolute fruitful moment on earth, lied. We will suffer for the sake of the cross. But it's an absolute privilege, and one day we will enter the, the glory of heaven, and we will spend time in the presence of the Father, and the moments here on earth, which are very temporal in the comparison to eternity, when my mom preached and she threw that rope out, and you see the, the, the temporal versus eternity, the suffering that we will receive will last but a moment. But this thing will cost us everything that we have. It says, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul and Barnabas, apostolic, they went in there and appointed elders. So how do we appoint elders? Well, first and foremost, we've got to recognize that it's meant to be the plurality of elders. So not just one elder, but multiple. And who appointed them? The apostles, the translocal team. So it wasn't the elders that appointed elders. It was those that came into the church that appointed elders. And how did they appoint? Well, by prayer and fasting. They had relationship. They, 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 they looked. So there was a recognition of these are the people that we see that should be coming on. And, and they spent time with them before they appointed them. Um, who did they appoint? Those who were called. Those who had a desire and acknowledged the call in their own lives and those who they acknowledged the call by prayer and fasting. So, so you need the call to be acknowledged in your life and you need the people who are coming to ordain to acknowledge the call because they have to have faith to lay on of hands and it's not a slow process. Do not be quick by the laying on of hands. So there's an outworking of how this thing works. That's, that's important. So, so when I was ordained, uh, coming onto eldership at Cornerstone, there were three questions that were asked of me. Is, do you, um, are you called? Do you believe that you are called to this eldership team, so in this church? And do you believe the time is now? And I had to have three yeses. And, and then the church asked themselves the same question. Do you see that, that Nick is called? Do you believe that he's called to this church? And, and, and do you believe he's called to this church now? When you get six yeses, th th then there's something of, okay, we have agreement on it. And then Tyron, who, who, who heads up the NCMI team, he came and spent time with Shonae and I. 
Because he was the one that ordained us. He, he wasn't in the church. He, he came in from a translocal perspective. Translocal means through the local. So it was people who we have a relationship with, as we see in Scripture, come in and they do the ordination. So Tyrone ordained us. And that's when I came on to eldership. But there, there needed to be an acknowledging of this thing. And, and, and the fourth thing is, are we qualified to fulfill the call? So do we meet the standards? Because you can be called, but not living in, in the fullness of the call because you are, are living a life that's outside of it, that needs correction to bring you to a place. And, and, and then one day, maybe that is the right time. But, but the call does not supersede the qualification. The qualification is there to protect us so that when the people have got their hands laid on them, we want to trust the people who are leading us. It's vitally important that we trust those who are leading us into. And we also got to trust their faith because they are going to face immense opposition. So my request is pray for the elders. Lift them up. Speak life over them. Because it is tough. There's an enemy who is roaring around who wants to unhinge this thing. Because the problem is, is when this thing is broken, this holds this triangle together. That triangle goes, and it's amazing. People, the Bible says, Strike the shepherd and, the, and, and, and the, the, the sheep scatter. We don't want to see sheep scatter. We want to keep sheep <laughs> living a life that is walking in the right direction, fulfilling the call and the mandate over them. So what is the function of elder? And I've got 10 points. I'm going to go through them quickly. But the function is to govern, to lead from the front. And how do they do that? Through doctrine, setting and establishing doctrine. Through discipline, bringing correction. And direction, bringing vision. Where there is no prophetic vision, my people cast off restraint. Who's responsible to bring prophetic vision? Those who are entrusted with the care of the church. And someone, so we always speak about the three Ds, discipline, direction, and doctrine. But then someone once added the fourth one, and, and I totally agree with this fourth D, and that is death. Because they lay down their life for the sheep. There's a responsibility where they lay down their life. I've often said to you, I'm not asking anyone to come in here and lay down your call for my call. We lay down our calls for his call. And then in it, he brings about the call in our hearts. But it's not our dreams and our desires of what we're doing, but we want Jesus' dreams and his desires and his vision over the church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And they call each church by name. Holy Spirit, what are you saying over Adventure Church? What is our inheritance? What is our plan? What is our purpose? What is our mission? To, to bring your message to these people, to love these people, to care for these people, and to lead these people into the fullness of who, what you've got for them. Number two, they administrate with the help of the deacons. So they're here to administrate the, the function of the church. Number three is to God. They protect the sheep who have been entrusted to them by the Holy Spirit. So we have a paddock, for lack of a better term, uh, that, that is called Adventure Church. And there are people in Adventure Church, and you guys are all sitting here. And there's a responsibility on me to make sure that we protect you to the best of our ability. And, and, and when the enemy wants to come in, we've got to sort him out. Because actually, these are people that have been entrusted to us to steward by, by the Holy Spirit. We preach and teach. We've got to be intentional with bringing sound doctrine. Making sure that we, Bible plus nothing, Bible minus nothing. We don't want to preach anything outside of the word. 
We're not here to bring cultural opinions. We're not here to be seeker-sensitive in the fact that we just want to get people here. We want people to have a true revelation of, of Jesus. A friend of mine says there's a difference between seeker-sensitive and seeker-sensible. Seeker-sensible is make the place comfortable, have good coffee. That's, that's cool. But, but we want to preach the truth and let the truth be offensive. Because it is. But when it is offensive, what happens is it pierces people to the heart and, and they come to a place of revelation of knowing Jesus and it's amazing how their lives change. Number five is we got to equip the church for the work of ministry. And how do you do that? By declaring and demonstrating. It doesn't help me standing here and telling you about the incredible things that happen in the nations, but I've never gone out. I don't have a passport. I need to declare it and I need to demonstrate it. I've got to come and bring stories of, guys, you will not believe what happened in Kenya. And let that stir something in your heart where you desire the nations. We've got to prepare and release leaders. So we've got to raise up and release leaders. And, and, and identify the call over the lives of people. It's vitally important. We've got to pray for and with the people. And then second to that, James 5.14 talks about bringing the sick to the elders. They will anoint with oil and lay hands on them and they will recover. That doesn't mean that, that other people don't lay hands on, but, but you should be able to trust the, the elders to lay hands on. And in that, teaching people how to lay hands on because actually all believers are called to lay hands on. But, but, but we're going to pray for the people. and we're going to, I, I love how Paul says, I, I admonished you with tears, each one of you. There's a sincerity in the heart of praying for the people. Often people think that the elders sit and they discuss all the, the, all the problems and the, and the gossip around the lives of people. No, they contend for the people. They, 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 they pray for spiritual breakthrough. They speak into the lives of people and, and, they, and they contend on their behalf with heavy hearts and sincere hearts. Because there's a love for the people that have been entrusted to them. Number eight, they, they, they feed the sheep with good food. And they have to wait on God for what he has for our people. What is the good food that God has for us? That includes what are, what are the preaching series that we're doing? The reason we've been going through the book of Acts because we want to know as a new church, what is it like to see the early church? Let's learn from the early church because we go back to the biblical understanding of it. Elders plan and strategize because we take a vision and we've got to ask God for the strategy of how do we implement that vision. And how do we bring that vision to impact the community that we've been called to serve? And number 10, we encourage, we love, and we spend time with the people. The, the role of an eldership team is to spend time with the people. And, and, and that's our function. So we are here to know Jesus and to make him known. We are here to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission. But this is the church structure that the Bible speaks of. And I've taken, I've gone through a lot of scripture very quickly. And, and there will come times where we expound on this further. And I haven't taken all the scriptures yet either. But I hope you get a heart for this. Now, there's a purpose why I'm sharing this. Because I've been walking a road with a gentleman on wanting to, to fulfill the mandate of the plurality of elders. So John, stand up, my bud. And, and the announcement that I wanted to share today and why this is important is Marcus and Adele are going to be laying hands on John next week. And, and he's going to be ordained as an elder in this church. And I'm pretty sure he might be second-guessing that after hearing what I preached on this morning. Um, but we've spent extensive time together working through this. When John's been in Joburg, he's spent time with Marcus and, he, and, and they've spent time together because, remember, it's the translocal team that has to identify the call to come in. 
and they're going to lay on. But, but he's a man who I know has been all in in, in this thing. And, and, and I asked him the other day, I said, John, do you have faith for Adventure Church? And do you see, has God spoken to you personally over the outworking of this church? Because I don't want you to come onto this team unless you have faith for being here right now and seeing the validity of God in this lampstand as Adventure Church. And he shared about how he was driving on the highway a couple of years ago and how God gave him a burden over this place. Um, he has a personal revelation of this thing. So I'm incredibly excited, but it's a weighty thing this year. To, to announce that John will be coming on to the eldership team next week. And for me, there's a massive weight off my shoulders because I want to do it in accordance with the Bible. And Marcus is going to lay hands on me as well as the one who leads this team. And, and, and there's plurality of elders and we walk with this thing because my wifey can't carry the weight of, I, I, I won't let her carry the weight of this thing on her own. You don't know, I've got to protect her as the one who's closest to me. But, but fortunately, John's taller than me and he's got broader shoulders, so he can carry a lot of the, the weight and responsibility. But, but guys, I'm sharing this because there's an accountability that he has to meet the standards set in Scripture. And there's an accountability where us hold him accountable to what this is. The beginning of the year, Hilton Rose had a prophetic picture over John that he shared with me. Again, bring in, bring in team and it's an amazing gift. But Hilton prayed with me and he was just saying, I had a picture of John and I saw John half a shield. And I believe the other half of the shield is the laying on of hands. And this is going back a good number of, this is almost a year ago. But, but that picture struck me and I've been working through and in prayer and in fasting and, and, and in, in accordance with the team, there's a, there's a group of guys who, who I've spoken to who know John. Um, and, and I've engaged with them over, do you acknowledge the call over his life? And the answer is categorically yes. And um, John will not be coming on full time. So uh, both of us will continue to work. Like I said, there will come a time, though, where there's a transition to bringing people onto this team full-time. And the church will be responsible to look after them and to, to bless them. But for now, we are continuing in our businesses, and John will do this. And he's agreed that he has time for the call. He's agreed that he has the desire for the call. And he's agreed to lay his life down for the call. And, and to facilitate leading our people into the promises that God has. And I believe for us as a church, this is a strategic momentum shift that we get to this. I want to give him a, an opportunity.